0: Just like a couple of things on the front end. So um, last week I was gone uh, to uh, just connect with some uh, what we call ministry partners uh, in London and in Mumbai. And so uh, it was really cool just kind of be in that environment and to, to see um, people really essentially living the way of Jesus uh, in London. So we're meeting with a, a church planter there, a good buddy of mine. They're, they're launching their church uh, in a couple of months. Uh, and so that will be happening uh, this summer for them uh, in the city of London and then uh, was in, in Mumbai, India. Uh, with a guy who uh, basically um, works with uh, local leaders in in that city, uh, training them up, uh, raising them up, and then planting churches, um, planting churches uh, through those leaders in Mumbai. And so one of the things that's, that's, uh, that I'm just a, a firm believer in, uh, in in I don't know, this is just one of those things. So when you're planting a church, so uh, we're uh, about six months old uh, at this point, six, seven months old at this point. I don't really, I can't, it, Whatever, right? And so, uh, but there can be a tendency a lot of times um, in kind of church planting circles um, in, in your early days to kind of be uh, a little more kind of inward focus and kind of uh, um, uh, just kind of thinking about your own kind of context, right? Because it's a bit of like a, it's like survival mode uh, in the, early, the first you know first couple of months in first year of planting a church. It's like survival mode, you know. And so there can be a, a, a tendency to want to be very inward focus, um, but I'm very much a believer in um, in in seeing and being a part of and in inviting our church into into being a part of a, of a global kind of movement of God and so we're going to be very aggressive uh, on the front end um, in, in going to, to the nations and, and seeing people living the way of Jesus uh, in London and Mumbai and so these will be kind of our two uh, strategic city uh, partners and uh, and so the dream uh, and the, the goal is to uh, have people from Grace City from Boston, um, on the ground in London and on the ground in uh, Mumbai in, in various different kind of ways uh, serving uh, in those places. And so uh, that, that'll be more stuff coming down the pike on that, but that's where I was at last week. And so uh, it's really good to be back and um, kicking back into the series, uh, kicking back into the series that, that we're in. And so we're in this meta-narrative series. And so the, the kind of the focus tonight, what I want to talk about tonight, uh, and the kind of the title for tonight is, is essentially a, a def, what I would call a defining moment. Uh, all of us, um, if if I were to pinpoint uh, your story, uh, and we were to kind of sit down and we were having coffee and, and just said to you, "Hey, give me a, a definitive moment. Give me a, a, a defining moment in your life." You could probably pinpoint one of those moments. You could probably say to me, "Well, it was when uh, it was when my dad left, right? Or it was when um, when so and so was was diagnosed with with cancer. It's when my parents got divorced. Or." Um, th- some of you would probably be able to clearly kind of pinpoint that defining moment uh for me if you if you've known my story and i've shared it before uh when i was eight years old my dad had a stroke and so he fell out in the living room in front of me and and i I, strate- I i can remember um that that moment honestly if you were to ask me about my childhood um i was eight years old when that happened but i see everything through the lens of my dad having a stroke i, I don't have a memory really of, of before, he, before he had a stroke. That's how much of a kind of defining moment that is for me. And so if you were to say, give me a, a, a memory from your childhood, it would, it would still be with my dad having a stroke, even if I was six or seven. That's just how it has so um, d- defined me. It's really, a, in a lot of ways, a place marker um, for my journey and for my, my story. And so if I pushed hard enough, you, you probably have a type of defining moment as well. And so what I want to talk about tonight is is the essentially the defining moment for God's people, uh, the defining moment for uh, the Hebrews, for the the Israelites. This is like this is the the big moment for them. That's really going to shape and put everything else in context for them uh, throughout the rest of their kind of um, history with God. And so, if you if you have a Bible, uh, we're going to be in Exodus chapter one is where we're going to start at uh, Exodus chapter one. You can go ahead and turn. We're going to be in verse eight. Um, is is where we're going to be at, and so essentially, what we're talking about tonight um, is is what the Bible calls the Exodus. Uh, so they uh, the whole the whole chapter uh, is named after it. Now, um, when you talk about and you think about the exodus of God's people, um, it can be thought about in two various ways. Uh, you can just think about the exodus of God, kind of rescuing His people from from Egypt, uh, from Pharaoh. Maybe you've seen uh, you've seen the movie, right? Uh, but they're they're coming out of Egypt. Or some people think about exodus as kind of uh, not just that, not just getting them out of Egypt, but into. Um, the Ten Commandments and into the law—that's some of the stuff that we'll look at um, next week. And so, so tonight we just want to look at essentially God's people being moved out of um, moved out of slavery in Egypt. And so, if you had to, um, if you had to think about the New Testament in a, in a sense, if you had to kind of theme up the New Testament, um, a lot of times people would talk about uh, like a, a cross, like a Cross, this is a terrible, it just sounds funny, but like a cross-themed life, right? If someone's to say that, they, they would essentially be saying um, in the context of how the cross of Christ has shaped them and influenced them, that would be the New Testament. A lot of ways the Old Testament would be uh, an, an exodus-shaped life. I mean, that's how defining of a moment it was for Uh, it was for God's people and really kind of influenced them in in all kinds of various ways. But here's what I'll do. So before we, um, before we dive into it, uh, uh, and before we get kind of get into these these various things, uh, so um, two weeks ago uh, we had a guest speaker last week, but two weeks ago, uh, we talked about Father Abraham, and so God came to Abram and said, "We make you into a great nation and 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 just comes to him and, and says man i 'm going to use you in a really remarkable way this is the this kind of the beginning kind of starting point for uh, for God's people, but let me, I want to, we're going to jump from Abraham, uh, all the way to Moses. And so we're going to do, my team loves it when I draw stuff or write stuff. Uh, so just hang in there with me for a bit. Uh, this is going to be like a seminary brief, like a, like a, just a, just a quick thing for you. Okay. Can everyone see this? Great. You guys are really interactive tonight. It's very encouraging as a preacher. All right. So, um, all right. So we have, um, uh, he, he started out, we had Abram. So God came to Abram, changed his name to uh, Abraham, and then he had a song made after him, right? Father Abraham had many sons, many sons. had father, I'm one of them. So are you? So let's just praise the Lord. We wiggle our arms. Okay. So um, what we looked at two weeks ago is God came to Abram and says, "I'm going to make you into, uh, I'm going to make you into a great nation." Now, if you know anything about uh, Abram or Abraham, uh, God used him in in some incredible ways, but he also did some really stupid stuff. And but but God, despite the stupid stuff, uh, God kind of honored where he's at. So uh, from Abraham, he had a son. Uh, he had a son named Isaac. Uh, he actually had two sons. He had uh, one son uh, with a with a, with like a slave girl named Ishmael, uh, and then he had a, a legitimate a legitimate son uh, named uh, Isaac. So we went from Abraham uh, to uh, Isaac, and then Isaac had a guy named uh, Jacob. So see how we're just skipping like quick generations here. So God calls Abraham uh, to leave his people. Uh, Abraham then has uh, Isaac uh, with, uh, with his wife Sarah. And then from Isaac, um, Isaac has Jacob. Now Jacob can also is also known as Israel. And uh, all throughout the Bible, they also call Jacob Israel. Uh, Jacob, from Jacob we have uh, 12 we have 12 sons uh, that come from uh, that come from uh, Jacob. And so this is essentially uh, where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. So if you've ever heard, if you're reading the Old Testament and they talk about the 12 tribes of Israel, how we got from Abraham to the 12 tribes of Israel is we had Abraham, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, uh, and then Jacob uh, had 12 sons. Now, uh, the son that we want to focus on, I'll move up here, um, I'll move up here so that you can see it, is a guy named Joseph. So so we had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Uh, and then the, the the son that gets the, the majority of the focus in the Old Testament is a guy named Joseph. Now, if you know anything about Joseph's uh, story, uh, he, he's kind of a prideful dude. Uh, basically uh, went to his older brothers and said, hey, uh, God's given me a vision. You're all going to bow down to me. It worked out really well for him. And so they got rid of him. Uh, the 11 brothers didn't don't like being told that they're going to bow down to their little brother. And so uh, Joseph is also the guy with the multicolored coat. Maybe you've read the book or you've seen uh, a movie with him, and so what happens with Joseph? Joseph has an incredible story in the Old Testament where he he uh, experiences probably like the lowest of lows, um, sold into slavery, locked in a, a jail for a long time. Uh, eventually, Joseph's story is he gets moved um, to the second in command in Egypt. Uh, he's he's gets in close with uh, Pharaoh and goes from a guy that uh, Joseph has the ability to interpret uh, dreams. God gives him the ability to do that. And so gets in close proximity um, to them, and so what basically what ends up happening is um, the other eleven brothers, uh, the rest of Jacob's sons and family uh, end up in Egypt because uh, there's a famine in the land and so Joseph provides for them, cares for them, and takes care of them and that's kind of where we find ourselves when we pick up the story in Exodus chapter one uh, verse eight and so Joseph uh, is no longer going to be um, with us and so let 's turn there now uh, Exodus one verse eight uh, where we read eight through eleven let me let me pray for us and then we 'll dive in God thank you um, thank you for a history that is redemptive uh, that 's not wasted um, that you you use these stories God that that um, the call of Abraham is something that has even even now um, is influencing us and, and even now is is calling us um, and giving us a, a better, greater story, uh, God. And so would you help us just in the next um, bit of time that we have as, as we're kind of looking over this story and, and getting a grasp on this, God, would you um, pull things out of the text, give us a sense of clarity um, that the Holy Spirit would, would guide this time, uh, and it would be helpful, God. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Exodus 1, uh, verse 8 through 11. In, uh, then we'll dive in. So it says a new king. So we have a new king in Egypt, a new, a new pharaoh. It says uh, a new king who did not know about Joseph came into power in Egypt. Okay, so there's a situation. Joseph um, is is gone, and this king doesn't know about it. Verse nine. Uh, he said to his people, "Look, the the Israelite. That's the twelve tribes of Jacob. Uh, the Israelite people." are more numerous and powerful than we are. Verse 10. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further, and when war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. Verse 11. So the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. Okay, so so here we are. So uh, the 12 tribes of Jacob essentially move from uh, experiencing the favor of God Uh, feeling the favor of God to um, Exodus 1, 8 through 11, in a lot of ways feeling forgotten by God. This new king rises up. He doesn't know the legacy of Joseph. He doesn't understand uh, how close Joseph was with the king. All he sees and all all he's going to operate out of is fear. Fear is his driving uh, thing. It's amazing when you're looking at the biblical story, um, the amount of destruction that fear does. I mean, I, it feels like over and over again, there are kings because of fear make incredibly destructive choices. I mean, this is what we see in the the the, the nativity um, scene. If you fast forward to the New Testament, it's a king making a decision based in fear, based in fear. So this is what we see happening um, with the Israelites, and so he uh, he essentially says, "We're going to put these guys um, and girls in in whole families." Um, in, in, in bondage, in slavery. And so they move from, they, their are people of God essentially move from living under the legacy of Joseph to living under the oppressive arm of, um, of Pharaoh. Okay. So let's go to Exodus chapter five, uh, verses one through four. So this is where they're at. They're in, um, they're under slavery, Exodus five, one through four. This will be like Bible drill tonight. So if you've ever done Bible drill tonight, um, this is a chance for you to flex your muscles. Uh, if you ever did that as a kid, um, if you don't know what Bible drill is, you should Google it, and that's a real thing that people did. All right, so uh, Exodus 5, verses 1 through 4. It'll be on the screen as well um, if, if you don't have that. Okay, so new king comes up, uh, Joseph. Now, uh, we're going to be introduced into this part of the story uh, with a guy named uh, Moses. Now, Moses uh, was from the tribe of Levi, so he was a Levite, and uh, Moses has a fascinating uh, fascinating kind of story. Um, it, it's in a lot of ways very similar to what we see happening in the New Testament with um, with a, a king deciding to kill all the newborns. And so uh, there's a command that's put out uh, when Moses is a baby to kill all the, the newborns. And so uh, the story of Moses essentially starts with uh, Moses being put in a basket, being put in a water because uh, his mom doesn't want to see him slaughtered, and uh, and sends him off. And Moses' story is essentially he gets picked up uh, by the daughter of Pharaoh. Uh, he gets raised. Um, for the first 20, 30, 40 years of his life in Pharaoh's house. And so he spends a significant amount of time being raised up in Pharaoh's house, understanding the culture of Egypt, um, the the people of Egypt uh, doing that. He is still, there's something about him because he's he's a part of the, the Hebrew people. He's a part of the Israelites that that he's still sympathetic towards them. And so as you can imagine, a guy sitting uh, high above the Israelites being an Israelite, uh, he sees uh, the, the oppression that they're experiencing. He actually sees a guard. What the Bible tells us is that he sees a guard abusing a guy, and Moses kills uh, the Egyptian guard, which, as you would imagine, gets him in trouble. So then Moses flees; he uh, he's out of there. They're trying to to capture them. So then Moses spends uh, somewhere around thirty to forty years um, in the wilderness. At this point, working uh, his father in law's land in the wilderness, uh, and then God comes to him. I'm just I'm blazing through this. God comes to Moses in a burning bush. If, if you've heard of this story before, it's incredible. The, the bush is not, it's burning, but it's not being consumed, right? And Moses says, let me go see this thing. What in the world uh, is, is happening here? And, and God, he, he, he has an encounter with God in that, that moment. And encounters with God change you. This is what happens all throughout the Bible. Encounters with God change people. And so he has an encounter with God at the burning bush, and God says, Moses, I want you to go, and I want you to speak on my uh, behalf to the people. I want you, I want to send you back to Egypt, um, and, and I'm going to call you to, uh, I'm going to call you to do this work. And so this is where we pick up, um, this is where you pick up with Moses, and he says, I want you to go to Pharaoh, some things I, I want you to say to him. So look, look at verses 1 through 4, Exodus 5 uh, 1 through 4. It says, uh, Later Moses, uh, Moses and Aaron uh, went in and said to Pharaoh. So they've been, they've been instructed by God. This is what they've been instructed to say to him. Um, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh responded, Who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and besides... I will not let Israel go. I'm not going to let them go. Verse 3, uh, they answered, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. He spoke to us. He's communicated with us. Please let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness. I think a burning man. I don't know. <laughs> I just keep like, just, is there is an like burning man. All right, so um, trip into the wilderness so that they may sacrifice uh, to the Lord our God or else he may strike us with a plague or with a sword. Verse 4. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you causing the people to neglect their work? Get to your labor. Pharaoh also said, look, the people of the land are so numerous and you would stop them from their labor. So here's here's the first thing that we see. And, And this is, as I was studying this and thinking about this, essentially what's happening is, is that God has a vision for his people. God is going to rescue them and call them out so that they can be um, a blessing to the rest of the world. We see this in Genesis chapter twelve, verses three. It says, "All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you." This is God's vision for the Israelites that they would be a people that would be a blessing for the nations. But what's the issue that we're running into in Exodus chapter five? The issue is is that Moses or not Moses. The issue is that Pharaoh has what? Pharaoh has a different vision. This is essentially. A collision of visions. See, Pharaoh, and we see this in Exodus 5, um, Pharaoh is saying, listen, th- these people have a, they have a job and responsibility to do. Why are, you, why are you keeping them from their work? They have tasks they need to get done. They're numerous. They've, they've got stuff they need to do, and you're, you're distracting them. This was, this was Pharaoh's vision for the Israelites. God's vision for the Israelites were, were to, to be a called-out people, To take over a land that he had called them to, a land that is described as flowing with milk and honey, and to create a new type of community on earth that would be reflective of the type of the community that God has called them to be. That was God's vision for the Israelites, right? And I think it's fascinating because if you're reading the story, um, Pharaoh's vision uh, for the for the Israelites, and essentially Pharaoh's vision for for his own kind of life, was what it was self elevating. Um, it was it was uh, it didn't care uh, what happened to others. It it. it it was oppressive to others. Uh, it used others as a, as a means to um, increase uh, his status and place. I mean, he, he essentially was caring about the nation of Egypt and, and their welfare. And so as a result of that, his vision uh, just ran other people over. It enslaved other people. It, it put other people um, in, in, in service to, to Pharaoh. God's vision, God's vision is for the Israelites. It's the opposite of that. He's like, no, no, I, I go to Pharaoh. I have a, I have a different vision. And and I, was, and I was thinking about that, and I was like, man, well, uh, um, having a colliding vision is almost like, it's almost like every day when you have kids. You know, it's like every day you have a vision of the way something's supposed to, like, you just have a vision of the way your day's supposed to go, and that collides, like, all, all, almost every day it's a it's not like oh I had a vision and that's, maybe you're that way right you have a vision for like your day and then if if it collides with another vision of your boss or somebody else right it's like oh no this guy and and so um what's what's happened here is this this collision of visions is creating a, a massive amount of conflict and and I think about that I'm like man um, because this this idea of like having a vision from God is something i 've been thinking about a lot recently it 's something that I think um, I think the majority of people I was talking to somebody earlier uh, about this today I think the majority of people that get stuck in habitual sins that, that get stuck in sins that, that are over and over again right so so maybe it 's um, lying greed maybe it 's pornography maybe it 's um, i, I don 't know just whatever whatever kind of a stronghold sin in your life uh, I, I just think a lot of that. Is, is equated to having too small of a vision, right? Because if we, if we understood the vision that God has given us for our life, that, that God has commissioned us to live the way of Jesus strategically wherever we find ourselves in the city, right? So whether you're, you're in school, so you're, you're in college or you're, you're working full-time or, or kind of wherever you find yourself, you're a spouse or you're single or, or whatever it is, right? Um, God has given you such a, a big vision that I think I think sometimes we have too small of a vision, and it collides with the vision that God has for our life, and it creates all types of conflict. I think this is what's happening in this particular story. And so Pharaoh saying, "No, I'm not going to do that," and God's saying, "No, no, I I have something I want to do." Okay, Exodus chapter six, uh, verse one through eleven. I got to move, um, move faster. Okay, so uh, they're they're having this conflict that is happening. Exodus six verses um, one through eleven. Listen what God's going to say here, because. Because we've, we've come to a point now, and this is what he says. But the Lord replied to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now he's going to use this statement, I will, uh, a lot. You're going to see it kind of rise to the surface. But the Lord replied to Moses, verse 1, the Lord replied to Moses, now you'll see what I will do to Pharaoh, because of a strong hand, he will let them go, and because of a strong hand, he will drive them from his land, verse 2. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared, here he goes. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So he's appealing to this heritage that he has. He's, what, what God's doing in that moment is he's appealing to the covenant that he made with Abraham. He's saying, I'm, I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Jacob. This is actually, this story with Moses is actually the first time that we're introduced to the name of God. He hasn't given a name before, but he has this interaction. He says, "I am, uh, I am. Uh, y- you tell them, I am sent you to be like present tense to be. I am, I am. Like uh, essentially saying, I am the present one. I'm the always one. I am, I am, I am to be. I am. Uh, that's who I am. That is my. This my name. And so he says, um, I am the God of uh, Abraham. I'm the one who appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty." Um, but I was not known to them by name, the Lord, verse four. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Cana, uh, the land they lived, in, um, the land they lived in as aliens. Verse five. Furthermore, here it is. Furthermore, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites who the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I've remembered my covenant. Now we, we said a couple of weeks ago, that the great thing about God is God doesn't break His promises. That that God swore to himself that he would keep the covenant. And so he's appealing to this covenant that he made with Abraham, verse 6. Therefore, there it is. Anytime you see a therefore in scripture, you always ask, what is it therefore?" And so he says, therefore, tell the Israelites, I'm the Lord. I will bring you out from forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Uh, you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, to Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Verse 9, Moses told this to the Israelites, uh, but they, this is this is so fascinating to me in verse nine. So God just says to, to Abraham, or to Moses, he just said to him, I'm gonna do this work, right? And here's what I love about this story, and maybe this is just like a little side encouragement to you. God is going to bring them out of slavery with Egypt, and you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't tell the Israelites to do what? To arm themselves? He doesn't tell them to like, organize an army he doesn't he doesn't tell them to uh to to create like he doesn't send them, he doesn't say to them hey at night time while everyone's sleeping let's start a training regiment let's create this kind of uh infrastructure that'll let really get you guys out of here and and we'll have this collision of kind of power that'll essentially do that he didn't say that to the israelites i mean god's calling a, a weak enslaved people a weak enslaved people out of Egypt, and the weight of their escape is going to be on who? On God. I mean, he 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 says, um, "I will." In verse one, in verse six, he says, "I will, I will." Verse seven, "I will, um, I will." I'll bring you to the land. I'll give it to you as a possession. It, it's all. Uh, it's all this. This kind of fur. This kind of uh, weight falling on God. He says, "No, I'm." I'm going to do this. Like, I'm going to do this. You don't have to do it. I'm, I'm going to do it. And then in verse um, 9, the fascinating thing happens. It says, Moses goes to the Israelites, and he says to them, hey, God's going to provide escape from you. He's going to get you out of the land. And look, look what it says. It says, Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and their hard labor. I mean, they almost, like, they almost missed it. They were so focused um, on their broken spirit. They were so focused on their forced labor that they were like, no, no, I'm not going to listen. They're so distracted. And since so they, 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 they almost missed it, verse, verse 10. So, so they didn't want to hear it. Then verse 10 it says, the Lord spoke to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, uh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go. Um, from this land here's the exodus story the exodus story essentially reminds us that god is committed to having a people he's committed to having a people this is what he's this is what he's doing in the story he's saying i'll, I'll be your god and you'll be my people can we think about that for a second this is the creator in heaven who who like has all the resources is perfectly content um, in and of himself, doesn't need anything else. Like, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't need anything else. And the story that we see in Exodus is God recommitting himself to having a people and saying, I'm gonna have a people. Like, I want to have a people. I want to, think about this, I want to commit myself to having a people. And not only will I commit myself to having a people, I'll do what's necessary to stay in relationship with them. He's saying, I'm going to do what's necessary. Like, put the weight on me. Like, you, you don't have to uh, maintain to be in relationship with me, Israelites. He's like, no, no, no. I'm going to pursue you. I, I'm going to remember my covenant with you. I'll have a people. And the most powerful force, right, the Egyptians, the, the most powerful force in that day, in that day, was not going to stop God from having a people. Do you you hear me? There is no force. There's no authority. There's no power. There is nothing that keeps God from his people. When God commits himself to having a people, there's nothing that will stop that and we see it in the exodus story. He's like, "I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. And I you don't you don't have to you don't have to carry that weight. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it." And so he's committed. He's committed to having a people. The other fascinating thing about that is all throughout scripture, God is so committed um, God is so committed to a people that he uses people to commit himself to people. <laughs> this is what we see. He's so committed to people that he uses people to commit himself to people. That, all throughout the scripture, do you, you know what God's doing all throughout scripture? Um, God uh, is using anxious, doubt-filled, hesitant, broken people to communicate on his behalf. All throughout scripture. He's using, uh, this, I don't, this, maybe this serves an encouragement to you. All throughout Scripture, He's using anxious, doubt-filled, hesitant, broken people to communicate on His behalf. Like I was, I was thinking about that this week, and that just like um, just fed my soul. I mean, we 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 have a guy like Moses. Um, Moses was well, he was hesitant. He was filled with doubt. He was a, a murderer, and God raised him up to call His people out of arguably the the most defining moment in the life of the Israelites. He uses Moses. Moses' stories, right, um, w- one commentary I read uh, said, that, um, uh, said that the first 40 years of Moses' life uh, in, in Egypt, in Pharaoh's household, uh, made Moses feel like he was something. And then the next 40 years uh, made Moses feel like he was nothing. And in the last 40 years, um, God showed Moses that he can use someone who thinks they're nothing. You know, and it's a fascinating transition when we look at Moses' life from feeling like he's something in Pharaoh's house to feeling like he's nothing in the wilderness to then going, wow, God can use, God can use a broken person, someone who doesn't speak well. And so all throughout Scripture, um, he's saying that too. So much so that in Exodus uh, chapter 7, verse 1, you don't have to turn there. Uh, it said, the Lord answered um, Moses, see, listen what he says to Moses. He says, see, I've made you like God to Pharaoh. I made you like God to Pharaoh. He, what is he saying there? He's saying, you, you are going to be the one speaking on behalf of me to Pharaoh. You, you're going to be the one communicating to Pharaoh on my behalf. You're going to be the communicator. You're going to be the one we looking at at that. Uh, in Exodus 6.6, 6, he says, therefore, tell the Israelites, right? So he's saying, no, Moses, go to the Israelites. We see in Exodus 6.10, he says, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He's like, Moses, you're my guy. I'm going to use you because I'm committed to having a people. I want to have I want to have a people. Okay, so let's kick down. So, so here's what's happening. So... I'm about to skip a lot of, of things here. So basically Pharaoh says, no, not interested, not going to let the people go, don't want to do it. So God says, I'm going to throw some plagues uh, on the people of Egypt, uh, some ridiculous plagues. Now, uh, there's various commentaries that talk about these, ver- um, these various kind of plagues that, that happen. Uh, some commentaries would say that um, every, every type of plague speaks towards a certain Egyptian god of that time period. So essentially it's Yahweh saying, no, no, I'm the true God. I'm about to show you who the true God is. I, I'm the true God. Now, what you have to understand is that um, in all these various um, these various forms of plagues, uh, Pharaoh was considered divine. And so Pharaoh uh, supposedly was supposed to be able to to um, control uh, the circumstances, control uh, nature. Uh, he was supposed to be one who had the ability to um, to be able to handle nature, uh, control these types of things. That's just what they thought about him. And so Yahweh comes, into the, Yahweh comes into the story and goes, no, no, I'm committed to a people, and I'm about to show you, I'm going to show you who's going to control these things. And so God, through Moses... Sends all kinds of various plagues. So he's he's turning the water um in, into blood, and and fish are dying. And there's a smell. There's um there's locusts that are coming. It goes uh, full dark, like full black. There, you know, they don't have flashlights. There's no iPhones, right? So it just goes pitch dark there. It just gets. Uh, more and more ridiculous. If you read this story in Exodus, it gets crazier and crazier and crazier. And every time, most uh, Pharaoh's like, "Okay, maybe you can do. You can take this." Most like, "No, no, we're taking everything." Pharaoh's like, "Okay, wh- why don't you take this? Leave the cattle, leave the livestock, leave." And most like, "No, no, you don't understand. God's instructing me. He wants a people, and he wants his people this way, and he wants everything. He's not. He he's not. He's leading his people to a land that is plentiful." full of, of bounty, and he wants everything. He wants all of their stuff. He's not, this is, like, this is not, um, this was not a fair battle, right? This was not a battle that was like, Egypt against God, who's going to win? God was like, I'm going to win. I'm gonna win. I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you, you know, you, we, can, we can go down this road. That's essentially what God's doing. He's like, we can go down this road, Pharaoh. You are not, going to want to go down this road, but I'm committed to having a people, so if you want to go down this road, let's do it. So he's turning the water to blood, going dark. There's loc right, just nasty, nasty stuff. So we get to the final one. Um, We get to the final one, and this is traditionally called the Passover. Uh, This is the most marking event for the Hebrew people, for the Israelites. Passover is actually something that's still celebrated, so April the 8th. um, uh, April the 8th is actually... Um, the eighth through the sixteenth of this year is when um, when the the Jewish people celebrate the Passover. They're still talking about this this um, this final plague, this moment of escape from uh, Egypt. So uh, Exodus twelve, twelve through thirteen, um, here it says um, says this. Well, b- before he gets there, um, basically God says, uh, "Go to the Israelites, tell them to to take an animal." Uh, without blemish uh, whether it be a lamb or a goat and he says if they can't if they don't have the money for a lamb or a goat um, then then take another type of, of livestock without blemish and he says to them take the blood from this particular animal um, put it on the doorpost uh, on the outside of their house so that when I'm I'm passing through I, I love that right because you read the story and he says put put the blood on the doorpost so that when I'm passing through I know that those are my people right and I'm like God knows. <laughs> it's not like God needed, you know what I mean? It's not like He needed the blood. Like He knows who are the Israelites, who aren't the Israelites, but there's a um, there's a tinge of faith there, right? Where he's like, are you going to Are you going to trust me? Like are you going to do this thing? Like I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to bring you out of Egypt, but are you going to trust me? Are you going to do this what I'm asking you to do? So he says, put the blood um, on on the the thing there. And uh, look at this, Exodus 12, 12 through 13. And then we'll jump down to twenty nine and thirty two. Um, so this is what he's instructing. Final plague here. He says, "I'll pass through the land of Egypt on that night." And here's the plague. This is this is horrific, but this is where this is where it's gotten to. Uh, it says, "I'll pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I'll strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am." the Lord. I'm Yahweh. Uh, I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. He's like, man, I am going at the gods of Egypt. The little g gods of Egypt, I'm going at them. He says, I'll execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. Verse 13. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt, right? This rescue of God's people in the land of Egypt uh, sounds uh, strangely familiar to another rescue. This is a foreshadowing of what Christ is going to do on the cross, right? Christ's shadow or Christ's blood serves as a rescue for us. It's a Passover for us. Exodus 12, 29 through 32. Now at midnight the Lord struck every firstborn male in the land of Egypt. Can we think about that for a moment? Like this is a, a real story. Like this is this is history. Like can we can we sit and think about that for a moment? If you're in the land of Israel in this moment or you're in the land of Egypt in this moment, can you imagine like the cries in this? This, this is where sin and fear and the pride of man has brought us to this moment. Every firstborn in the land, Dead. As the Lord struck down every first bell, firstborn male in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, from top to bottom, and the firstborn of all the livestock. Verse 30. During the night, Pharaoh got up, and he along with all of his officials and all of the Egyptians, and there was a loud Wailing throughout Egypt because there wasn't a house without someone dead. Not a house without someone dead. Verse 31. He summoned Moses and Aaron during the night and said, Get out immediately from among my people, both you and the Israelites, and go. Worship the Lord as you have said. Take even your flocks and your herds as you have asked and leave and also bless me. So the Israelites are leaving the land to what? To the wells of the Egyptians, of the people. Like this isn't, this Passover moment, this isn't like a, I wouldn't think a celebratory moment for them. I, w- I would think it's kind of a somber, uh, a, a, like a sober moment for them. Like this is a moment where they're like, once they got over the like initial fear of like, is my kid dead? And they they realize their kid's not dead, and they're leaving the land to the screams and the wailing of the Israelite or of the Egyptians. Why? Why? Because God was calling a people, had committed himself to a people, and was not going to be stopped. Wasn't going to be stopped from calling a people. He, here's what the, the Exodus story essentially uh, reminds us of what? Because this was their rescue. And they're, they're still, they'll celebrate it later this uh, later in April. This coming month, they're going to celebrate the Passover. Jesus uh, in the New Testament um, it is his, his his time of crucifixion is around the Passover feast was still a significant thing for them. The Exodus story reminds us what that we have a better rescue. We have a better rescue story, I and mean, we see this paralleled um, all throughout the, the New Testament. Paul says in 1 Corinthians five seven, he's describing Jesus and he says, "For Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed." See, the New Testament authors recognize that Jesus, um, that Jesus was the Passover lamb for the people. They connected the Old Testament Passover that we just saw, this event where God saves the people through the blood of a perfect lamb. Hello? The perfect the blood of a perfect animal. They they connect that with the work that Jesus does in the New Testament. It says he is our rescue in in 157. In Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Listen to what Paul says to the church at Colossae. He says, he has what? He has rescued us. Rescued us. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him, we have what? In him, we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. D.A. Carson says it this way. Christ is our Passover, and that he is guaranteed that the angel of wrath, the destruction of right judgment, passes over us because Christ has borne our place. This is an Exodus theme. This is an Exodus theme. So their their story, um, their story is is our story. That we have a that we have a a rescuer. And so I don't I don't know, I don't know where you are tonight give you a little bit of time to kind of process out, but maybe you're here tonight and um, maybe you have a vision for your life um, that doesn't line up with the vision that God has called your life to. Maybe it collides with that. And so maybe you need to spend a little time here in a second just kind of talking to the Lord. And maybe, um, maybe, maybe you don't know. Maybe you, you, you don't know what that is. Maybe you don't know the vision that God's called you to. And so I want to give you just a little bit of space here in a second, uh, just a little bit of time, just kind of think through that and, and process that. So maybe that's um, you tonight. You need to realign your vision um, w- with God. Maybe you need to step into the fact, man, I love, um, part of what I love, just a side story of the Exodus story is is this, this idea that, man, God, Use Moses to go against Pharaoh. He used an imperfect person, and so maybe, um, maybe God's been calling you um, into an area of obedience. He's been saying, "Man, I want to, I want to use you, like, I, dude. Like, you don't, you don't have to be perfect. Like, you don't have to um, be well taught. You don't have to have a certain status and a position for me to use you. Maybe He's calling you, one to use you in a in a certain way. And so maybe tonight you just need to say, "Man, God, like, use me." Maybe you don't know. Maybe you're just a guy. Will you use me. Like I see that you do that. Um, can Can you use me? Maybe you're here tonight, and um, maybe you've just forgotten um, that you've been rescued by Christ. That that the blood of Jesus has rescued you um, out of your bondage and sin, because that's what it did. I mean, we we were just without Christ. We are just as enslaved as the Israelites were. Under the rule of Pharaoh in Egypt, just as enslaved without Christ to various sin habits, to patterns, and so perhaps you need a rescue through Jesus tonight. Maybe you need that. Maybe you don't know Christ tonight. You need accept. You need to step into relationship with Jesus tonight. You say, "Man, I, I need a rescue. Can you can you give me some? How how, do I, how does that happen? Maybe you need to talk to someone, or maybe you are a follower of Christ and you just you've forgotten. Maybe you keep there's the Israelites, there's a moment in time where the Israelites are like, can we go back to Egypt? This is too hard. Can we, Moses, can we go back to Egypt? And so maybe you find yourself going back to old sin patterns and habits, because it's what you're used to. Maybe you're maybe you're trying to get back to Egypt. And So maybe tonight, maybe tonight you just need to commit to saying, no, I'm not, and God's God's rescued me from, like he's trying to take me to a better place, to a better land.